up everybody and welcome back you are listening to suds buds presents pints and pixar the show where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage or in this case a few today's gonna be a loaded episode just <laughs> saying that right off the bat it's been good it's been good nate and i uh <laughs> we we kicked it old school and played a bit of ps2 uh, this afternoon. A little Starsky and Hutch action. A little Starsky and Hutch action. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, now you know. Uh, we also... Well, I should say, I, I, I introduced him to Joe Para, And we literally did that, like, a minute ago before we hopped on the air. So Feeling feeling loose, feeling spicy. Now. Feeling loose and spicy. If you don't know, now you also know. <laughs> Check out uh, Joe Para, Baba O'Reilly. I think it's good introductory material if you find yourself wanting to find more after that it's out there and if you don't like it then I, whatever you're dead to me it's yeah. fine may may whatever you praise help you but on a lighter note we are talking adult beverages and pixar like always and this week specifically it is the hit 2012 film brave you feel about this one nate uh i okay uh um i liked it but something about it felt weird like i don't know exactly what it was not like a rushed storyline i think it was i don't know it's really it was really hard to put my finger on it maybe as we're talking through i'll figure it out but like I did like the movie. I would watch it again. Yeah. Um, but something about it felt kind of weird as far as Pixar movies go. And at this point, we watched a, a lot of Pixar movies. Um, but this one, maybe it was just like the, the story felt to point A to point B, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I want to give away right at the top of the show, but I, I share a lot or I think at least some of the same sentiments that you do in the sense that uh, it feels a little out of bounds for Pixar. Yeah. Not in a bad way, just very different. Um, yes, the story is very linear. It doesn't deviate much from... I mean, we kind of know where it's going to within the first few minutes. Um, yeah. But uh, I'd say it's a pretty fun ride. It's a pretty fun ride. Yeah, I was never bored um, throughout the movie. Um, there was just like, I don't know, Pixar movies tend to have more like side stories and like other random crap going on. Yeah. In this one, yeah, it was very much like you're watching it and every character involved is immediately where they need to be for it. Like you're not watching multiple stories play out. You're watching one big story uh which kind of then turned a lot of the characters that you thought were going to be important into very secondary characters like really there was two yeah. main characters but only one that really mattered 
True. And I get what you're saying about like everything just kind of conveniently is is laid out. I mean, the majority of the movie takes place in the castle. And once they get outside of the castle, it's in the wilderness, the woods specifically. And a lot of that, you know, Scottish woods that we see in the film is really beautiful. But it goes by so quickly because we're, I mean, the castle, we kind of get a sense of the layout of that building a little bit. But the woods and like the wilderness of this film is kind of just strictly used for for exposition, I guess, more or less. There's just like trails that are convenient. I mean, they're not really like they're never really lost or like trying to find their way. It's kind of like we're in the castle for half the movie and then we kind of have the last half that's split between like a chase scene and a fight. Yeah, it's like I said, it it felt weird, but I it's a good movie. Yeah. I think but, I, maybe t- by the end of this episode, I'll have a little more well-formed opinion because I thought I had one coming in, but now as we talk about it even, I'm kind of like, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. uh, what do you say us buds get to the suds? Ooh, here um, we go. We did enjoy a pre-show beer that we will throw out there. We drank... Uh, the Peace Offering, Cold Press Stout, brewed with Peace Coffee from Prize Brewing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's been a while since we did a pre-show beer. It's been a while since we did a pre-show beer and a while since we've done a beer from Prize. Mm-hmm. So, um, Nate, why don't you lead things off? You purchased this beer. Yeah, well, Peace Offering, uh, it was kind of one of those, you know, as as we've discussed before, it's a little hard to find beers that tie in directly. Um Eric had kind of an idea for this show. Um, I went kind of a different direction. We decided, we ended up going with his option, but I wanted to do at least one of these on the air. Um, but yeah, this is the prize peace offering. Uh, cold pressed stout brewed with peace coffee. Um, I don't know. It, uh, it was nice. Um, it was light. I don't think there's maybe there's a little more left in the can. Yeah, I'm gonna take that last little bit in the can. Um, yeah, it did actually have kind of a nice sweetness that I didn't expect. Um, I've had peace coffee, and I guess I've never had like a cold press peace coffee. Normally, it's just the beans, and then whoever's using the beans mm-hmm. makes their own. But, um. I don't know that I've ever had a cold press, so I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. Um, it does pull out some bitterness. Um, nice touch of sweet. All around a, a fairly enjoyable stout. Um, yeah. Easy drinking. I'd buy it again. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to give this an official rating or just kind of talk about would we buy it again, maybe? Um, yeah, we could go official rating. I think I'm going to put this at like a... Three two, three okay. three. Um, not my favorite. We've had a lot of stouts on recently. They just kind of keep popping up. Yeah. And uh, we've had some very good stouts. Um, this one was kind of just a nice middle of the road. I'd absolutely buy it again, but not exactly my go-to. Wouldn't be my go-to for a coffee stout. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned middle of the road. I think that's exactly where I'm going to put it at a three. Uh, I didn't dislike it, but it didn't blow me away. 
you're right. I thought it was nice and light in body. I guess the only knock I had against it is it was, I thought, really bitter for a stout. But also, to me, I just kind of got that taste. Even, like, when I smelt it, it kind of had that, like, cold brew that soaked for too long Mm. smell or taste. Where it's almost like you've gone past the the you know taking on the coffee flavor and you've kind of pulled some like this woody earthy bitterness along with it and i don't hate it but i guess that makes it you know i i should say i like a strong cup of coffee not everyone does yeah so for that reason it makes it a little tougher for me to recommend but i didn't dislike it you know no i drank my pour and enjoyed it yeah So, yeah, uh, prize brewing, peace offering, brewed with peace coffee. Um, yeah, check it out if you're in the in the market for a coffee stout. Heckin' right. Well, Nate mentioned that we were doing something a little different this week. So before I let you take the reins on this plot of Brave, I had a tough time pairing beers this week. I stopped at a couple local shops. I always try to go to the local ones before I go to Total Wine. I didn't go to Total Wine this week. Probably could have had a few more options, but unfortunately, the local shops that carry a lot of local stuff, there's not a lot of Scottish ales in season right now. Nope. So, I kind of uh, pulled an audible, and I decided that the Suds Buds would do a cider episode, specifically Strongbow Cider, since uh, uh, Merida's bow is kind of a focal piece in this film. Merida. What did I say? You said Merida? It's Merida. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the the longbow is a focal piece um, in this film. Merida uses it very frequently. Um, Why are you doing this? Merida. (laughs) <laughs> so, to lead things off, we are drinking Strongbow Original Dry, which is their OG blend. So, uh, yeah. Refreshing taste, less sweet, gluten-free. There you go. All things Nate likes. Uh, made from ripe cider apples for the refreshing taste and dry cider of England's number one cider. Well, there you go. We're also keeping things on point because we are going across the pond and traveling to Europe which is where this film takes place. So, gotta say, another dub for me. I, 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 I don't feel like you're giving, you're giving yourself too much credit on this. You saw bow and arrow, and you went strong, bow. Yeah. Yep, I did. Yep. And I'd say for most of these episodes, you know, 9.9 out of 10, I'm picking up the beers, and I always do a fantastic job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, feel free to step up whenever, Nate. I brought three perfectly decent beers. Peace offering. Peace offering, Nate. It was a peace offering. We had. It's uh, a stretch, is what it is. Okay. Strongbow. I mean, I stand by. It is one of the focal pieces of this movie. They constantly remind us. It causes a lot of tension and also saves the day. Uh, It was heavily used in the advertising when this film came out. So I'll take my win. Okay. I'll take my win without any shame. Subtlety be damned. Nuance be damned. Lesson learned. We can all do better. That's Nate, true. Nate, That's Nate, actually what this movie's all about. Nate especially. 
That's the that's the theme of this movie. Nate can do better. Yes, Nate can do better. Anyway, uh, what do you say we dive in here, huh? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, actually, quick thing for the reviews on this. Do we want to just rank our favorite to least favorite on the Strongbow, or do we want to actually give them official ratings? Favorite to least favorite. Favorite. To, uh, it's one of those like Strongbow ciders. Like it's a yeah macro cidery. Um, yeah. How about this? When we come back from the break, we will give. We'll let the audience know our our. You know what? I'm trying to think of a way to frame this. We will tie a Scottish entertainer to each one of these beverages and rank them in that manner. <laughs> that's gonna that's that's a tall order, but I think we can do it. So, for example, if we were drinking like uh, American IPAs, mm-hmm. you could maybe have like you know Stone number one, Brad Pitt. Okay. Like, number two, you know. Bell's Too Hearted, and you throw, I don't know, Gary Busey up there. Gary Busey is Bell's Too Hearted? I, I I don't know. I'm, I'm just... Okay, okay. I'm trying to make this... I'm trying to add another element of pairing to this show, because I like to think that's kind of what we do. We're experts in pairing beers with Pixar films. <laughs> that's uh, true. If, if, if we ran a restaurant and we served our clientele a beverage, we would also owe it to them to tell them what, what Pixar film that beverage would pair well with. <laughs> We are the experts on this. Uh, no one can question us. You know? Mm. In front of you, you have a vintage uh, 78 Chianti. Pairs well with Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> what? Monsters, Inc. Uh, the hit 2002 film. Actually, I don't think that's when Monsters, Inc. came out. When did Monsters, Inc. come out? Would you like okay. to? Would you like us to go grab you a complimentary tablet with Disney Plus so you could watch the hit film from two thousand and one? Will you enjoy your meal? <laughs> I, well, instead of a uh, a drive-in, we call it a dine-in. You know, Ooh. we assemble uh, assemble nice small plates and pair drinks with Pixar movies. What if we named it the P Stop and like all of our workers were dressed like it was a pit crew and we only like really laid into the cars aspect of Pixar? But we don't show the cars movies. No, we just show NASCAR, but like you get to sit inside of like Lightning McQueen while you eat your chicken tenders. I feel like we're we're really limiting ourselves to I think <laughs> what we both agree was probably our least favorite series out of all the Pixar movies. Come on, man. We opened a location in like Tampa and then like Bama. I think we'll we'll be okay. We could just open it right next to the speedways. Yeah. Yeah. See, there we go. Uh, Well, I mean, we'll think about it. That's dumb. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that idea dumb? Yeah, I thought about it and it's dumb. Oh, okay. Well, if that's dumb, why don't we uh, we give you a a break here and uh, I'll jump into. I love a break. L- little bit of brave plot here. Um, so brave opens um, kind of some sweeping shots of uh, Scotland, and then we kind of come upon this camp. Uh, we hear a voice. It is um, as Eric pronounces it, Merida. Well, you pronounce it like three different ways. Merida. It's Merida. Merida is how you pronounce it. Otilla. Oh, Otilla's cookies. Um, so yeah, we come upon Merida and her mother. 
uh, kind of running around playing hide and seek. Um, uh, Merida at this point is like six years old, I think, somewhere in that ballpark. I don't, I don't know what age kids are able to do what. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with six. Six is my guess. Um, but yeah, they're playing a little hide and seek, and eventually Merida's dad shows up, uh, who is the king of this. Yeah, he's like a king. Like it's when you're looking at the camp, it's kind of shown that they're royalty. Like it's not yeah, people. No. It's not people out roughing it. It's like a tent. And there's like a throne sitting inside. Like what do you need a throne for in a tent? They um, refer to him as the Bear King numerous times. He's like the Bear well, King of a region in Scotland. Well, that's not till later though, because that's that's this whole tie-in. Yeah, that's this is where he gets his name. Um. So her, uh, Marat, I hate that I can hear you saying how to pronounce it. So now it's making me pronounce it wrong. Merida. Merida. Yeah, there you go. Merida. Um, You've screwed this up like five times since we started recording. We're we're not even 20 minutes in. You got in my head. I don't know what to do. Um, anyway, so Merida, um, yeah, her dad shows back up. And that is uh, King Fergus. King Fergus, uh, for her sixth birthday, gives her a bow. A a bow and arrows. Um, And starts teaching her how to shoot. Uh, Her mother, uh, Queen Eleanor, is not a big fan of this. She thinks that Merida should be more of a a princess than independent, I think. Yeah, her mom kind of sucks. Yeah, it's kind of hard to have pity on her mom throughout this whole thing. Yeah, she sucks till she's, like, not... She sucks till, like, the last ten minutes of the movie. Well, yeah, kind of. Um, anyway, so, uh, kind of teaching her... Teaching uh, Merida how to shoot. Merida accidentally launches an arrow way over the top into the forest. She goes into the forest to go get it. And she stumbles upon a wisp. Which is like a little blue spirit floating out in the woods. And the little blue spirit kind of leads her around. Um, basically forms like a trail of other wisps. Mm. And like she kind of goes on like a little adventure. Eventually finds the arrow. You ever play the old uh, Raymond games? Yes. Like there was one for, uh, I believe there was one for PlayStation that was like a side scroller. PlayStation mm-hmm. 1. Yep. And then there was also one for the Nintendo 64 that was like a 3D platformer. Yeah, that Not... was kind of like N64's bag. Is that what you were familiar with? Was that one? Uh, No, actually. Well, I mean, I know I've played that one, but they actually released one on PS4. Okay. Uh, it went back to the side-scroller, but like a very well-done, like, high-end side-scroller. It's a very slept-on franchise, but I thought the opening scenes of this movie and the Wisps specifically were very reminiscent to Raymond, especially the N64, which, I mean, is very much to this day still a, a classic, highly recommended children's game, but very dark in tone, kind of mysterious, and you're following these Wisps through these dark tunnels and... Mm-hmm. Very cool. Would yeah. you know on a console where I know this isn't a video game pod- podcast, but we were both uh, Nintendo kids. Yep. Grew up on the sixty four, and uh, I think 
you know, Mario 64, Donkey Kong 64, Banjo-Kazooie. Those are probably the platformers that most kids grew up on. But uh, I'd highly recommend Rayman. Uh, Actually, quick fun side thing with the new Rayman game that came out on uh, Switch and PS4. Um, So the... (laughs) The Switch version was done, um, but the PS4 port wasn't working properly, and so they delayed the game. Like, they wouldn't release it on Switch until the PS4 version was done, but they had released a demo, and the demo was a lot of fun. But, like, we knew the game was done, but they're like, nope, we're not going to release it until we can release it everywhere. And uh, a friend of mine took that very personally. Because, like, he really enjoyed the game, he really enjoyed the demo, and then they wouldn't release the actual completely finished game. Like, they admit it. Like, it's done. We're just holding off. And it took, like, another year to release it. Jeez. Yeah. That might be excessive. But it it, it took, like, not a short amount of time. And he got real pissed about that. Because he wanted to buy it on the uh, Switch anyway. Right. And so then he just committed to never buying the game. Like, just as, like, a, no, like, I don't know. It was, like, a weird thing, but that's that's my last memory with Raymond. I gotta get a Switch. The library's gotten to the point where it justifies yes. getting one. This, um, the Switch is a lot of fun. But, sorry, I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was uh, very parallel to that game that came out, you know, probably 13 years before this film, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but anyway, back to it. Um, so the Wisps kind of lead her to her arrow, and then kind of lead her back to the um, the camp. Because, I mean, they just let this little six-year-old run around in the forest trying to track down an arrow. Um, we've been playing Frisbee golf a good amount recently, and if you launch a Frisbee into the woods, that shit takes a while to find. An arrow out in the woods? I, I got nothing for you. I played with uh, Andis last night, friend and former guest of the show, too. Um, But yeah, it was pretty fun yesterday because first time ever playing, I did not have that problem. I had a, (laughs) I hate to call it a tea time because it's disc golf, but had a scheduled time to meet at uh, the local course with uh, my cousin Jake. And uh, Andy joined, too, with two of his buddies. So we had five of us playing in a group. And uh, let's just say no discs were lost in yesterday's game because it is very nice having five sets of eyes on a disc. <laughs> Everybody's got a track down. Dude, it's a luxury. Like, the, the pace of play goes a little slower, but you don't lose any plastic, which is pretty freaking nice. Well, that's actually when, when Samantha came out and played with us that one time. Yes. She didn't even play, but holy shit, she's really good at finding a disc. She's a good spotter. Yep, it was, it was just one of those, like, she like you'd lose it, but you just yell Samantha, and she'd come over. She'd find it within like ten seconds. Yeah, it was just the weirdest thing, and it worked like ten times. I've got a new. Uh, this probably means nothing to three quarters of the people listening, but I've got a new Cone Tiki driver uh, from Infinite Disc, and uh, I have I, I like won't throw this thing by myself, especially uh, like this time of the year when the courses are somewhat green and the trees are green, Mm -hmm. but like I'll throw it when Sam's there because I trust that she can help me find it (laughs) when I inevitably throw it into an oak tree. She's, she's got a talent. Yeah. Would that make her like a caddy? No, that wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know what that would make her, but bird dog. (laughs) You said it. 
I didn't say it. You said that. <sighs> Love you, Sam. Apologize to your girlfriend. <laughs> anyway, back back to the first two minutes of the movie. Um, yeah, so she um, Merida ends up coming back to camp, talking to her parents, and then all of a sudden, a giant bear with like weapons sticking out of it. Yeah. And like the bears in these movies, like bears are big. These bears are bigger. Like none these... of the animals look like they're real life animals. They're highly exaggerated. Even the horses. Yep. But like these, I mean, these bears are like, if you ever go to like a, like a um, history, like a natural history museum and you see like some of the old species, like the giant sloth and things like that, that's what these bears look like. Yep. They are. Yeah. Like ancestors to modern day bears, they are huge. Yeah, like and they stand like at least ten to twelve feet high, and for the most part, upright walking too. Yeah, yeah, they they walked upright a lot, almost exclusively. Yep. Um, but yeah, so this bear uh, coming into attack, like I said, it's got a bunch of weapons uh, kind of scarred on its back. Or a bunch of weapons stuck in it. The bear's not wielding a bunch of weapons. Um, bear kind of goes in for an attack. Uh, Merida and Eleanor ride away on a horse. And kind of leave um, King Fergus and some of the other guards around to fight the bear. And that's end of scene. Well, end of scene is basically... Well, bear comes in for the attack. Yeah, I mean, it basically... Uh... It's about as heavily, about as heavily as you can imply a beheading in a in a Disney movie. I mean, when that bear comes in, like when I watched it for the first time, I was like, "Oh, he just straight up ate Fergus's head." I did, like it, because this is me and Eric had talked about it before. This is like one of the first, I think, the first one on this podcast where we had never seen this movie before. Yeah, maybe except for like Cars two and three. But sure. I was familiar with the franchise. We both were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, yeah, this one, like, I had no idea about the characters, had no idea who, which was kind of fun to watch then, because, like, I had no idea what was happening. Right. Um, Just the way they it, cut that sequence, though. I mean, it's like, bear opens its mouth, fills the screen, cut to King Fergus, very downward, like, um... You know, very much making him look like the, the 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 victim in in the scene. And yeah, kind of like back to Finding Nemo, where like the barracuda like attacks. Yeah, and then Marlin wakes up and everybody's dead. Yeah, only the difference is, you know, I guess we can probably pick it up after this. But we fast forward after that, and the king is alive and well, and now he is the bear king, and he's really living off of this, you know this moment i mean we basically go from pretty dark scene where mother and child ride away on a horse to opening credits and now he's the bear king the family is you know living very well and they just had triplets three little boys getting a little ahead of yourself here pal because i we, mean at we this find point out... we're at like the 10 minute mark of the film yeah well we find out that uh the bear ended up taking one of the king's legs so he sure. had both legs. So he the the king didn't get away unscathed, um, but the bear he also didn't kill the bear. Um, he's telling this story about how 
this big fight was raging and he lost a leg and yeah but he's this bear has kind of become his nemesis throughout the whole movie but he, and bears in general he's yeah i was gonna say he's taken it upon himself to just have a vendetta against bears and just kind of kill all bears i mean yep later during a feast we find that he has a giant bear on his wall that they like shoot arrows at i don't know yes kind of weird yeah like he, he forms a personal vendetta against bears like i got bit by a dog as a kid but i don't hate dogs that's you know, not I've what gotten, we learned last episode i love dogs i've gotten clawed by cats before and cats are the greatest animal in the world you know? i invite everybody to go back to the up episode and listen to what eric has to say about dogs yeah but that that's not my real life thought on dogs <laughs> oh I'm just saying, like... Fair enough. I think I was speaking through uh, Charles Muntz in that situation, right? Okay. Mm, yeah, not really. Maybe. I'd love a cat and dog if I could have one. Sure. I like uh, critters. Alright. Well, you're a critter kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we cut back to the kingdom uh, a few years later. Um, Merida's... Well, how old would you say Merida is at this point? Probably 15, 16... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think know it's that weird either gave, way. Yeah, I don't know that they gave us like a hard cut, like if, ten years later or something. But it, yeah, I think sixteen's pretty on the nose. I think if they were going accurately for medieval times, probably twelve. But I think they pushed it a little bit because I mean, it is a Pixar movie, and yeah, they are. Regardless of how old she is, the whole basic plot of this movie is. Uh, uh, uh <laughs> kid getting married off yeah more or less and then the the repercussions of of that child marriage yes yeah um but yeah so we'll we'll take a guess say yeah 16 ten, yeah 16 so like 10 years later um so kind of cut to that and we've got a lot of uh voiceover at this point which is kind of nice to speed along the plot uh basically Meredith explains that She's being groomed to become a princess and by her mother. And um, she's now got three brothers, three identical triplets. I don't know if we ever got names for yeah. them. We probably did. but They, they, they named they, them off pretty early in like a montage. Yeah, but like they never... Like the triplets have some part in the plot, but for the most part, they're just kind of instigators. Uh, but they're all, yeah, toddlers. Um and basically we learn Merida's very unhappy with how her life is going or her what her she is destined to become um she's a very independent person and the arranged marriage at 16 is not something that she wants to do surprise surprise yeah no kidding yeah um so we kind of go through that and we learn that uh Merida's parents have invited some of the surrounding clans that they like are teamed up with for a competition for her hand. Like a competition to marry Merida. Yeah, it's basically... Um, it threw me off a little bit because, yeah, there's three suitors that are sailing in. Mm -hmm. But one of them is scandinavian correct i think they're all i mean they're all it's not like the clans can be that far apart if they're clans but that's where it threw me off is because 
Merida's family is Scottish. Yep. But, like, one of the other families that's sailing in is very much, like, laying into the whole, like, Highlander thing. Sure. So they're also Scots, right? Yep. But then the other family, they mentioned several times about them being Vikings. And they very much speak with kind of a sing-songing, like, nor like, stereotypical Norse. Is that uh, the voice. blue painted people? No, no, no. The blue painted people would be the the Scots. Okay. Like Braveheart, because yep. you know. Um, oh. What's his name? Is it, is it William Wallace? Is that right? Sounds right. Maybe. I'm drawing a blank. Or is that? No, I think that's the Patriot. Maybe Patriot. I think that's Patriot. Um. Pretty sure that's Patriot. E- either way, yeah. um, Mel Gibson, dude. But then there's uh, the third family that's sailing in, and they're. Like the the kilts, the guys in all the kilts. The kilts. Well, I mean, everybody's wearing kilts, but uh, they've got like the pattern, like the green. It's weird. I don't know enough about Scottish tradition to be able to say one way or the other that they're not all Scottish. Correct. Me either. But what I do know for a fact is, yeah, Merida's family is Scottish. One of the other groups sailing in is clearly meant to be Scottish. One of the other ones really is laying into, like, the Norse, Viking, Scandinavian culture. And then the the other one almost kind of, like, comes across as it almost could be Irish. So that's where I was kind of confused. I'm like, because, yeah, it would make a lot more sense if they were all from different countries or if they were all from Scotland. You know what I mean? Sure. that kind of changes is... is It changes as to what level King Fergus is a ruler. You know what I mean? Is he, like, leader of some sort of a regional hierarchy? Sure. Or is he, like, the king of Scotland in whatever time period this is meant to be? So that, to me, was a little misleading. Yeah, because, like, I I can get that. Um, I mean, like, I'm looking at a map right now. If they had, like the lower um west side of scotland northern ireland could theoretically get over there but they all came in on kind of like smaller boats so i don't know are i wonder is um were there vikings that came from scotland there had to have been because it if that's, I don't know, but if that's the case, then it makes a lot more sense. They're just Scottish Vikings, you know what I mean? Because sure. they that was specifically said when they were sailing. Like, he referred to him as, like, my Viking son and my fellow Vikings and stuff like that. Which I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird if we got three, you know, no, Scottish says, families. And it says there, is, there was Scottish Vikings. All right. Well, there it is. little education for me on uh, medieval sailing cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Who says who says uh, Pixar and drinking alcohol can't be educational? So, I didn't say that. In a lot of ways, that makes almost this meeting more meaningful. It's kind of, these are all kings of a country, regional kings, that probably have disagreements, but they're kind of coming together, you yep. know, in unity, trying to prove themselves to King Fergus, which I guess the takeaway is still that he's probably... It's like the most... The most powerful. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, well, he was kind of elected to be their king. We find out a little bit later in the movie, um, that King Fergus helped 
uh, or banded all of these groups together to then um, to fight off invaders. Um, so they kind of elected him as the king. Um, but yeah, so these three clans show up trying to win Merida's hand in marriage. Um, so they each like kind of present one of the sons from the royalty in each family. Um, and all of the sons are kind of goony or dumb in their own way. Yes. Like there's the one who you can't understand anything he says. There's the one who looks like he's a, like a tough, like alpha, um, but then kind of throws a fit later on and is just really obnoxious. And then the other one who's just kind of a dunce. Yep. Um, so those are the three suitors. Um, but Merida ends up getting to pick the challenge in which they compete for her hand in marriage. Um, and she kind of formulates this plan that she's also going to compete in this to win her own hand so she doesn't have to marry any of them. So she picks archery because, as we learned earlier in the movie, she's very good at it. Um, and they all kind of go through. They take their turns shooting at these targets from a long distance. And then she sneaks away and joins the competition and hits every, yeah, every bullseye, even splits an arrow. Um, like some, yeah, some Robin Hood type shit. Splits an arrow while her mom is basically pleading in the background, giving her a last chance. And mm-hmm. um, she kind of uh, breaks this deal with her mother. Her mother kind of this whole time has reiterated that, you know, she has spent her whole life being groomed for this. And Merida's kind of response is, I didn't spend my life being groomed for this. You guys were grooming me for something that I never wanted. Yep. And uh, that basically... She goes back to the castle, and they have, like, a big fight there. Yeah. Uh, They get into a big old argument, and Merida ends up slicing this tapestry that her mother's been working on. Which is called a, um, I believe a tartan, I think is the the correct word for it. I could be mistaken. I want to get this right, but um, it's something very, um, very important in in Scottish culture and it's kind of like uh hmm like a family coat of arms that you have in your home and uh symbolic and exclusive and original to to your clan, your family, your tribe. Um and so yeah, that was kind of like the ultimate the ultimate family sin, I guess that uh Merida committed in it. It broke her mom's heart and yeah, like we had seen in an earlier scene that her mom was like, I mean, she's hand stitching this whole thing. Um, but she ends up cutting a slice basically between her mom and her in this tapestry um, and then runs away from the castle um, off to the woods. And the wisps show back up and lead her to a cottage. Um, she goes into this cottage and sees an older an old lady uh, making a bunch of bear sculptures out of wood. Um, so, but then she starts to get suspicious, figures out that the old lady is at, in fact a witch, and asks the witch for a potion to change her mother. Um, they were very lax on, yeah, she, 
honestly, this part's kind of Merida's fault. Like, I don't blame the witch a whole lot for what she did, but Merida simply asks to change her mother. And the witch is like, all right, sure. Like, any amount of uh, clarification probably would have fixed this, but she just kind of ran with change my mom. Um, And so the witch provides her this uh, enchanted pastry, basically. Mm. Um, And Merida brings it back to the castle, and the witch says, this will change your mom. Um, and it'll help change your destiny. And that's kind of like the theme. Family's very gluttonous and also really likes their... Everyone kind of has a sweet tooth except for Merida. I mean, yep. she... Uh, her kid... Or her her kids, brothers. Her brothers. Um, she's seen sneaking them like a plate with like a pile of pastries at the beginning of the film to which they smash all of them. Yeah. Um, later on, she trades them like two to three weeks worth of desserts and then finally is like fine a year and her dad is very gluttonous sitting at the table just eating haggis and turkey legs yep mom you know all over the sweets uh i don't know i don't know if that was kind of them pushing the whole old-timey royalty um less stereotype yeah exactly exactly um yeah i mean there's several scenes with like the the triplets where they're like stealing these pastries from this lady yeah constantly that's all they do yeah. Basically, their entire existence is wreak havoc and eat pastries. They remind me a lot of, like, um, Donnie, if you ever remember Wild Thornberries. Oh, yeah, 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 the it's little like wild boy. Three little Donnies. I think he even had, like, bright red hair, too. Yeah, he did. Yep, little loincloth. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Merida brings this little tart back, or, yeah, this pastry back, uh, feeds it to her mom. Uh, her mom starts to get sick. And Merida keeps asking, well, how do you feel about the marriage now? And just keeps harping in on it, thinking that that's exactly what was happening. And turns out the pastry turned her mom into a bear. Yep. Um, So then there's this whole scene where Merida, after her mom kind of comes to terms with, oh, shit, I'm a bear now. And they can't speak. Right. Um, Merida has to sneak her mom out of the castle because... Again, her dad has a personal vendetta against bears. Can't speak, but mom can still understand Merida. She just can't express herself. Yeah. Um, it was kind of fun, like, with the bear, where, like, you don't even, you didn't even necessarily remember um, the queen's, like, posture or... Um, basically, like, the way she walked, the way she, like, composed herself... But they did a really good job of transferring that into a bear. Mm. Like, she's, like, always got her hands kind of, like, held together at the center. Um, walks very, with... Yeah. Very, very posh and proper. Yes, exactly. It was, it was kind of, like... Which was good because, like, it reminds you every time you see this bear, you're reminded that, no, that's, that's the queen right there. Yeah. Like, walks through the forest like she's in, like, a long dress... Just kind of small steps. Well, and the tiara. Has to keep the tiara. Yeah, loves the tiara. Um, then, yeah, we, I guess, basically right after that, have a very long sequence of Merida trying to get her mother out of the castle. Yep. Um, Which it felt, that to me, felt like it went on for like half the movie. 
it was it was a bit of a long one um but she ends up getting her mother out of the castle and then they're in the woods she's kind of trying to figure out or she wants to track the witch back down mm-hmm. to figure out how to reverse this spell um turns out the witch is gone at some festival uh, which i thought was Wick, kind of funny. the wicker man festival the wicker man festival yes very nice very nice touch um and she kind of gets some instructions from this this recorded pre-recorded message that the witch left on how to reverse the spell um basically she has to mend ties um before uh two sunrises yes yep Mend the ties broken by pride or something like that. So she does that. Oh, you cracking into a another I zesty think, foamer here? I think this is the perfect time. We've got three beverages, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a long plot summary. So I noticed we both finished our first one, so I All think right. it's time for numero dos. Um, yeah, pardon the interruption, but we do drink suds on this show. So yes, this is the... Strongbow number two, the rose apple, which is a apple pear cider with a touch of red fleshed apple, semi dry, with a light, refreshing, fruity taste. Made in Belgium. All right, all right, let me crank that foamer. Also, I didn't know that they made, uh, yeah, made these eight and a half ounce cans. Kind of dig that. Very though. European of them. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Anyway. Oh yeah. So they get out of the castle, and then there's another long montage of basically Merida. Like these are. It's kind of a role reversal, where um, Eleanor, the Queen Eleanor, has been kind of grooming Merida to be this princess, and now the shoes on the other foot. Um, Merida kind of has to teach her mom how to be independent and strong and do things for herself. And that's the way Merida's always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's a scene where they're catching fish. And it was kind of funny. Um, there's, there's some fun scenes, but basically they're bonding a lot. Um, trying to repair this, repair their bond. And... Then there's kind of a weird twist at the end of the montage where she catches uh, Merit or not Merida. Um, Eleanor catches a fish. She sits there and eats it and then kind of wanders off into the wilderness. And Merida follows after her and she keeps saying, Mom, the bear's not responding. And then the, she finally touches the bear, turns around, and it's got just straight black eyes. Yep. Um, and then kind of starts to attack Merida a little bit. At this point, and then, yeah, a little back and forth. Then all of a sudden the eyes kind of collect back, and it's her mother's eyes again in the bear. And they kind of realize that, oh, yeah, it reminds us that there's a timeline here where if you don't undo this spell, your mother will permanently become a bear. Not a bear that... Not your mother in a bear's body, but a straight-up bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of kicks it back into motion, which I thought was actually a pretty good segue out of that montage. Like, yeah, hey, remember time. Time exists. 
Yeah, because they even mentioned the timeline was the following sunset. Yeah, but the Merida and Eleanor were just palling around in the woods for a long time. Yep. Um, so they kind of play through, and they figure out, or they, they think that, yeah, they come up with a plan, and they assume that if she can, if Merida can repair the tapestry that she cut, that would reverse the spell. So now they have to break back into the castle where all of the Scottish royalty are still hanging out with all their clans members. So it's a very full house. Mm -hmm. Um, So they get back into the castle Um, at a certain point. I don't remember when it really becomes relevant. Um, Oh, actually I do remember. So they, uh, get into the castle, but the way the castle's set up, the throne room where everybody's gathered is also the only way to get to the tapestry. Um, so, and all the clans are in there, and, you know, Eleanor is a giant ass bear. So, Merida has to kind of create a distraction. So, she, when they walk in, all the clans are kind of at the boiling point, like they're starting to fight. Because they were all brought here. They were promised that one of the clans would get to marry into the king's family. whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and Merida gets up and starts talking. And then from the side, Eleanor as a bear is doing a lot of hand signals. Basically leading to she's had a change of heart. Uh, the kids should be able to marry whoever they want to marry in their own time. Um... And all of the suitors that had been presented for Merida then uh, come out and agree with this. Like, they they don't want to marry Merida as much as she doesn't want to marry them. Um, And it kind of... Which is also kind of a shot at Merida. Yep, a little bit. I mean... But, I mean, it's one of those, like... It's real, it's real. Yeah, I mean, these are all 16-year-old kids, like, they don't know what the hell's going on. They don't want to, like, be forced into marriage. To anyone truth just because they can shoot an arrow well um as um one of my best as my best friend always says you know what they say about tradition fuck tradition so they all say fuck tradition they're like oh this is cool this is fine and uh then they sneak up to get the tapestry at a certain point um king fergus comes upstairs goes into Eleanor's room and sees that it's all torn apart from when she turned into a bear. Um, thinks that a bear somehow broke in and killed Eleanor, which... Okay. Uh, and then goes to Merida's room and sees Eleanor and Merida in there, but Eleanor is a bear. So him having a vendetta, vendetta against all bears, tries to kill this bear. Um, bear escapes... Merida gets locked in her room um, for trying to stop her dad and everybody chases the bear out of the castle but they go on a big hunting like hunting group to track down this bear yep um, at this point we learn that uh, Merida's sweet tooth loving triplet brothers uh, ate the pastry that the that had turned her mom into a bear yep. so they are three bear cubs now which I did love that part because, like, as much as Merida's trying to turn her mom back into 
her mom, no one gives a shit about the triplets. Not one person. It's true. Yep. Like, it was one of those things that it was just assumed that if Merida fixes the deal with her mom, then the whole spell's broken. It doesn't matter. But, like, the triplet pairs, also pretty cute. Yeah, no one, no one <laughs> gave a shit. Um, but the triplet bears end up tracking down or basically getting the key to unlock Merida's room so she can get out and save her mom. Uh, there's a weird scene where the lady that they, those triplets have been stealing pastries from mm-hmm. is put in charge of the key and she puts the key down her shirt and then like the bears chase her all around trying to get this key they end up cornering her and then one of the bears is up top and dives like does a high dive off of this like ledge and dives directly down her shirt which was like a weird i was like huh yeah like it was a scene that didn't feel like it needed to be that it was an adult joke just kind of like shoved into it right yeah pretty weird but fine yeah i saw that too and i was like all right yep weird yep kids diving into uh cleavage in a kid's movie yep weird but it was a bear so it was fine i guess yeah that's true um bears love titties that's just science (laughs) thanks nate (laughs) Reminds me of this meme I saw a long time ago. I'll get back to that later. Um, anyway. You okay? I'm drinking Strongbow. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> this is on you. Oof. Well, you're more bummed about it than me. I'm having a good time. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're at the chase scene. They corner the um, Eleanor Bear in like this weird rock ring stonehenge type shit and they pull her out or like they trap her and merida shows up kind of defending her mother until the end and then the big bear that had uh bitten off king fergus's leg shows up there was a small scene before where they figure out that the big bear actually was a cursed um cursed prince from the witch that had given the spell uh that just went full bear one of the strength of like three men and yeah you never go full bear never go full bear um but then they kind of turn their attention to that bear and that bear starts going after merida and so eleanor as the bear starts fighting the other bear I feel like we should do a count for how many times it said bear in this. Maybe just like a super cut that yeah. we'll throw on the gram. Bear, 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 bear. I think that could be fun. Oh, what a bear, 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 with a big rock. Um, which is pretty brutal. Like basically starts slamming this one into the rock. Until it falls on top of him. 
like yep. breaks and falls on top of them. Um, and that releases a spirit from that bear, the big cursed angry bear with the weapons. Uh, turns out it was like a brother from a legend that they had mentioned before. Um, they kind of rushed through that part, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they killed that one, and then Merida's trying to get, trying to fix her mom, but she can't. Like, she puts a tapestry over her, but the sun's coming up, and we're seeing, like, the sun rising like a ticking clock. Like, it's slowly coming up over the bear, and she has a tarp over it. She's hugging her mom because, like, she's about to turn into a full-fledged bear. And part I had a bit of an issue with, she's hugging her, and then all of a sudden it's her mom again. And how could you possibly be hugging, again, like a 10-foot bear around the neck and not realize it's turned back into a human? How could you possibly do that? It's a kid's movie, Nate. They were trying to do it for dramatic effect. They could have done so much more. This was like, all of a sudden, like the, her mom's hand reaches around and hugs her back. I was like, what were you hugging then? Like, were you just hugging space? I don't know. I was more confused about how her mom was all of a sudden, like, cool now. Like, her mom went from being, like, a stuck-up, like, not-so-cool mom to now she's, like, cool free-spirited hippie mom with like streak of gray in her hair the streak of gray was one thing but i think a big part of it was her mom just having to like shut up and like listen and hang out with merida like her mom wanted her to become this princess and that's what her mom liked to do but merida didn't want that and her mom wouldn't listen to her like i other than poisoning her mom I really don't think Merida was the bad guy here. Like they oh, no, they tried to make it like uh both sides were wrong, both sides learned a lesson. No. Even poisoning her mom, I mean, can we just agree that her mom deserved it? <laughs> Eric, I can't on air say that people deserve to get poisoned. Yeah, but it's a kids movie and you just spilt all over yourself. Yeah, you poisoned me. Got him. That was an aggressive spill too. It was a lot. Well, it's fine. You okay, Nate? I'm all right. It's a bit of a strong bow, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, then the end. Yeah, it's actually, it was a really weird quick wrap-up. Yeah. There was like a little post credit scene. Um, when Merida was getting the spell, she agreed to buy all of the wood carvings in the witch's shop. So then this crow shows up trying to deliver all the wood carvings, which was kind of fun. I forgot about that. It was a fun little scene. But yeah, it uh, kind of ended pretty abruptly. Yeah. Which is fine. I don't I don't think there was any more wrap-up that needed to happen. Like all the Scottish, or all the different tribes left, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. And that's brave. And that's brave. And that's the end of our second Strongbow. I would I would love to get a, a bear supercut, because every time I said it, I was like, holy shit, again. But like, you had to remind, this is, I couldn't say Eleanor because it's a bear. Bear. It's bear. 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 We'll be right back with another uh, installment of Suds Buds Presents Pines and Pixar and another bear. 
Suds and Suds Buds presents Pints and Bear. My mother, the queen, feels uh, in her heart that I, that we be free to write our own story. Follow our hearts and find love in our own time. That's beautiful. The Queen and I put the decision to you, my lords. Might our young people decide for themselves who they will love? Huh? Since you've obviously made up your minds about this, I have one thing to say. This is a grand oh. idea. Give us our own say in choosing our fate. What? Aye. Oh. Why shouldn't we choose? But she's the princess. I didn't pick her out. It was your idea. What's up, everybody? And welcome back. Thank you for sticking with uh, us as Nate... Uh... Talks about bears. Oh, Nate talked about bears for a while. <laughs> It's time we crack open our final drink of today, our final Strongbow, and this one is the Pear Seco. Mildly sweet pear apple cider with a refreshingly light dry finish. So, I'll be the judge of that. Alright. Ooh, and I'm going to overflow my glass. Nope, safe. Safe. All right. Fun facts. Here we go. You ready, Nate? I'm ready. All right. Did you know the working title for this film was a bit more literal? Before the team landed on Brave, the working title for the movie was The Bear and the Bow. That would have worked. It would have worked. <laughs> uh, did you know there are hidden characters in the logo? Look closely at the movie's logo for subtle images of... Merida and Eleanor, hidden in the letters B and E. I'm actually not buying that at all, because I've been working on this, recreating this logo for a while. I saw it today, actually. Um, they had a reference photo on the site that I pulled the fun facts from. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Did you find it? No. Uh, um, I'll look this up, but you can, you can keep... Uh... Keep doing your thing. I'll probably pull up the same text that I found earlier today. Here we go. No, where are you getting Eleanor? The middle of the E, there's a face. It's hard to distinguish in that photo. Okay. And then the top of the B, there's also Eleanor's face. It doesn't look like Eleanor's face. Top left of the B. I know, I know what you're looking at. You got like a bear in there. Uh, mm, okay. I was going to say it's there. If I could find the exact photo that was on the site. Here we go. This was the site I pulled it from. Sorry, everyone listening is just like, these two are just trying to prove <laughs> each other wrong. Correct. Hmm. See, top of the E, you got the the crown. So Eleanor's the top of the E. Sure. And then the top of the B, you have 
the long hair kind of flows into like that Celtic pattern. Yeah. It's there. When they when they pointed it out, it was pretty obvious. Um, but I do my homework. What can I say? Did you know the film was also dedicated to none other than Mr. Steve Jobs, who died right before the film's release? Rest in peace, Mr. Apple. Uh, did you know Young MacGuffin is actually speaking a real language in this film? Executives originally asked Scottish actor Kevin McKidd to speak gibberish as Young MacGuffin, but he suggested speaking Doric instead, a dialect from northeast Scotland that his grandfather used to speak. So the dude with the blue face paint, the skinny Highlander, he was actually speaking real words. No, no, it wasn't him that you couldn't understand. It was the bigger guy. Uh, with the dad as the ponytail, with the two side ponies. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, yeah, that's the... That's Young MacGuffin? Yeah, that's the one that you couldn't understand anything of. Got it. Uh, did you know Reese Witherspoon was on board to voice Moretta? But... Oh, sorry, how do you pronounce it? Merida. Oh, is that how you pronounce it? It's Merida. Reese Witherspoon was on board to voice Merida, but due to scheduling conflicts, uh, apparently Witherspoon was replaced, or, excuse me, due to scheduling conflicts, apparently, Witherspoon was replaced by Scottish actress Kelly McDonald, which is very appropriate. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to imagine Reese Witherspoon, like, mm, mm, mm. Well, if that's hard for you, try to imagine Reese without her spoon. Oof. Ooh, ooh. Got uh, comedy hour over here. Eric's comedy hour and fun facts. Did you know filmmakers decided to show Marita mucking Angus's stall herself rather than having a stable hand do it because they wanted to challenge audiences' expectations of what a quote-unquote quote unquote, princess should be? Uh, Marita definitely defies stereotypes and we love her for it. I noticed this right away, too. When she was out shoveling the, the shit, I was like, nah, nah, that's not how that works. Like, they would have had, like, uh, a hand for that. I mean, not that that's right, but that's just how it was back then. I'm not going to believe a princess shoveling shit, but it was a nice character. Well, I think thing. I think for her thing, again, it was just her trying to be as independent as possible. Sure. Um, like, she never asked anybody to do anything for her. Like, even with the food... Like, where she's going to dinner to meet her family, she's, like, grabbing food from the kitchen to bring it all up. Like, I, I don't think she likes having things done for her. That's fair. Um, this is kind of an interesting one. Did you know director Brenda Chapman was replaced 18 months prior to the film's release? Though Chapman had conceived... Of uh, the character and the plot, to begin with, she was replaced over creative differences in late 2010. Uh, quote, To have my story taken away and given to someone else, and a man at that, was truly distressing on so many levels. She later said, when she and her replacement Mark Andrews won the 2013 Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, it is absolutely a vind vindication. So... Okay. Huh. So, some some heat. Yeah. I like, don't know. And I mean, at 18 months, like, I don't know. Like, at that point, it's not that the movie's done, but it is final touches. Mm -hmm. 
like can you imagine like signing on to a project that's been years in the making and then or like taking over a project years in the making and you win a giant award for it like if you think for a second you had any part in that like years in the making what was it eight months 18 18 months. months 18 months like that that's that's some horse shit I read a number of things, but some of them were kind of contradictory, so it's definitely something I'm going to look into more uh, after this episode, because I'm curious. It definitely did not sound like it was kind of an easy passing of the torch. It sounded like it was pretty heated, actually. Sure. Yeah, so not the funnest of fun facts, but interesting nonetheless. Um, Moving along, did you know the movie originally took place in the snow uh, so they explored ancient castles, collected flora and fauna, paid close attention to how light played across stone walls at different times of the day, and even acted out fighting scenes to get an idea for movement. Um, yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Um, I think it would have been a beautiful film in the snow, but I guess pretty close to when Frozen came out, so... Yeah, and you're dealing with princess and... That. I don't know. Also, I don't know exactly what it is for me, but movies in the snow, I just, I don't like them. Really? Yeah, there's something about snow that, like, it's not that I don't like them, but, like, if that's the entire set, I'm like, it just, maybe maybe that's why we moved our studio to sunny California is because I just can't. I can't do it. Do you not like snow in real life? It's not that I don't like snow. It's just, it's not my favorite thing. Sure. And so when it plays like a huge part, just, eh, not, not my not my game. Not a big Home Alone guy? I love Home Alone. Home Alone takes place mostly in a house. During the winter. It could be during the winter, but it's mostly in a house. Okay. Like Kevin McAllister's outside. Ice Age? Not a fan. I thought the what's the sloth's name? Sid. Um, Sid. It's, it's too much. He's it's too super much. Super annoying. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. Not my favorite movies. Um, even uh, what was the movie with that just came out with the bear? Um, was it? Who's Revenant? the guy who got malt? Yeah, Revenant. Not a big fan. Like people really like that movie. I just eh, it's fine. Yeah, I agree. Hot takes from Nate. Hot takes from Nate. Nate's takes. Nate's hot takes. Nate's hot takes hour. Nate's hot takes and shakes. <laughs> I just gave you a food truck name. I would li- I sell you a shake, but you have to get a hot take. Yeah, you have to listen to me bitch for a minute. Yep. Exactly. You can pay full price so you can listen to me bitch for a minute and you get 10% off. Because I got a lot of hot takes. Give me an Oreo McFlurry and my, uh, my take on airline food. <laughs> I don't know if that's even a hot take. Unless I liked airline food. I don't think anyone does. I've only had it once. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. Yeah. It was fine. Wouldn't recommend. No. Like, it's not something I go out of my way for, but it's also, why would I get on a plane for airline food? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think anyone, like, goes on dinner dates on a plane. No. No. I think if it's you usually, did, uh... If you did, like, you spend a lot of money for what's a subpar date. Yeah. Yeah. Do better. No, if I had a jet, like, I might, you know, tell my pilot, like, hey, man, you want to take me for a little cruise while I eat some uh, some KFC back here? 
A famous bowl. Famous bowl. Famous bowls underrated as hell. Not a gravy guy. Not a gravy guy. Not a gravy oh. guy. Is it like the texture? Or is it just flavor? Yeah, kind of just flavor. I just it's 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 fat and it's flour and it's just like I'll make you some real good gravy, but like if you I'll don't like eat, the texture, I'll start eating red meat, and I think a lot of it's like comes from like meat fat, like brown gravies and things like that. Um, to me, like I'm a sauce guy, mm-hmm. but like gravy has always just like struck me as something that is a bland condiment that people put on already bland things like mashed potatoes and gravy is like the most redundant way of saying bland to me and like when it comes to thanksgiving a lot of people will put like gravy on their turkey yeah i'm a cranberry on turkey guy okay personally although cranberry i don't know i'm not a big cranberry sauce guy like the weird cranberry cut I don't do the fake one, not like the gelatinous one. Like I'm talking real cranberries that you cook down and reduce till they fall apart with some sugar sure. and water. But uh... Uh, here's here's another hot take: turkey is a garbage meat. Like it is, it is objectively the most bland cut of meat I've ever had. I don't know. Like even even well done turkey, the best things about the turkey are the flavors that you put into it later. Like it it on its own offers nothing. It's kind of like soy, where it's like, here is a flavorless thing, put whatever you want into it. Yeah, like Thanksgiving style turkey isn't like my go-to style of turkey, but I like like a nice thinly sliced turkey breast, like a lunch meat, like on a sandwich, um, or like a big smoked turkey leg. But like carving the Thanksgiving turkey, yeah, it's pretty bland. But yeah. then putting gravy on it is like more bland. See, I I've I've had a lot of really good gravy in my time, you know, in my days. I always try it every year, but sure. like it's like loot fizz for me. It's like I have to check. My brother makes a really good one. I have to see if I can get the recipe and see if it's got any red meat in it or like reduced animal fat. Yeah, because I I think you're right. Most of them do. Yep. But we'll find out. Yeah, maybe make we'll have a a Suds Buds Thanksgiving special. I'm I'm willing to try most and almost all things, but uh, just gotta be open to my honesty. That's fair. That's fair. Gravy. <laughs> uh, did you know? Yes, the Pizza Planet truck made an appearance. You're like, what? This is medieval. How the heck is there a truck? Check the witches' table. It's there promise you the modern day automobile has made it into every pixar film and it is here in this one the oldest of them all i gotta i'm, I'm looking it up just because yeah. like yeah I, it's not that i don't believe you but i just and rounding things out don't yeah, hold your breath waiting for a sequel according to co-director mark andrews there could be a sequel, or maybe not. He says, quote, I don't know if there'll be another one. We never make a film at Pixar to have a sequel. It is always nice when you do, uh, but we kind of have this philosophy that, uh, you know, if we find the right story, then we will. So. I don't, I don't think this movie warrants a sequel, but. No, me either. Um, 
Yeah, also a lot of fun facts. I didn't write any down, but a lot of stuff about how they really did like an overhaul to the animation engine to be able to animate Merida's hair in the way that they did. And I think at the time was cool, but I think even looking back with 2021 goggles to 2012, doesn't look the greatest, I didn't think. I thought it looks just kind of like... It's a little too flowy, which seems weird. Yeah, and also, like, in contrast to her mom's hair, there would be scenes at the beginning where she's talking to her mom, and her mom's hair, like, doesn't move at all. Mm -hmm. Her mom's hair is like a braid down to the floor, and it is, like, stuck to her head and back. And I just thought that was kind of like... It was just weird having one character talking face to face with another character and one of their hair is very flowy and is casting light and the other one looks like it's like a broomstick taped to their back. I was like, this is weird. Yeah, it wasn't, I don't know, there's a little too much discrepancy with it. I, I'll save this for our, our, our final takes on the film, but uh, I gotta say something I don't think a lot of people are necessarily gonna like or maybe agree with. Okay. But moving along to the music, uh, so we got a different one. Usually most of our scores are Michael Giacchino or Randy Newman or Thomas Newman. This is none of them. The score for Brave was composed by Patrick Doyle and performed by the London Symphony Orchestra. The orchestra was conducted by Mr. James Shearman. Um, yeah, to bring some of Scotland's native flavor to the music, Doyle used traditional Celtic instruments such as bagpipes, a solo fiddle, Celtic harps, flutes, and the badharan, with an electronically treated dulcimer and cymbalum to give it a more contemporary feel. So, lots of cool stuff there for the musicians out there. I only know what half those things mean, but, uh... Yeah, Salsa Dave probably knows what most of those instruments are. You know, classic picker he is. Uh, And then finally, in addition to Doyle's music, the film features three other original songs. They are Learn Me Right, written by Mumford & Sons and performed with Birdie. Uh, The next one is Touch the Sky, music written by Alex Mandel, lyrics by Mark Andrews and Mandel. And finally, Into the Open Air, music and lyrics by Alex Mandel. Both Touch the Sky and Into the Open Air were performed by Julie Folis as Merida's off-screen musical thoughts. These two tracks were produced uh, by composer and uh, arranger Jim Sutherland, who is also featured as a performer on the tracks. So... Yeah, they really stayed true with the regional sound and kind of the era that they were pinpointing, which uh, was a nice touch. I, I mean, say, nothing in this movie felt out of place. No. No, like nothing. Was, there was no glaring, like, kind of moments. Um, but again, it, it did feel weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any better time than now. Um, I think it's time to talk about our final thoughts on this film. We'll sure. wait for the ciders last. Okay. Um, unanimous decision to skip over the villain this week. Unless we really want to put a bear in there. And here's my argument why. I, okay. People might be listening and being like, well, but Lotso's a bear and he's like top five on your list. 
Yep. They very much personified Lot. So gave him a human voice, made us sympathize for him, had him pull a couple double crosses. They made him devious. This bear was just, I mean, he was just a, he was a bear that didn't like people fucking around and stuff. Yeah. And in a lot of ways I can almost sympathize with him. Cause it's like, you tried to kill me once, you know, yep. like he, I mean, he, the bear came and attacked the camp. Yeah. The first scene. But it's a bear. It's a bear. Exactly. It's one of those like, he, like they tried to kind of paint him as a villain and it was like, nope. Like he's just a big bear. Like your kid wandered off into the woods, kind of got into his territory and then kind of tried, he came and tried to eat the kid. But again, it's a bear. Like that was a kind of a weird thing with this movie is all the animals normally Pixar like personifies animals a little bit more. And this one, like one of them was the other one we didn't even know was a person till much later. Yeah. Like, I guess the witch, but even the witch, like I said, any sort of clarification, the witch would have been like, oh, yeah, no, I think that's not going to work. Right. That wasn't the witch's fault. And also she left instructions on how to break the spell. Yeah. So like. True. She kind of covered all of her bases. I don't blame her for that. No. Um. Yeah, I, I think I don't think there's really a villain in this movie. Yeah. If anything, Eleanor is the villain. Yeah, and if she was, she'd rank pretty high, but I'm not gonna put Morita's mom as the villain. <laughs> Classic Morita. Classic Morita. Um so yeah, no villain. Um as far as film ranking, I'm gonna give my ranking right off the top and then kind of explain it. I'm putting it at number fifteen. Which is just above Finding Dory and right below Toy Story 2 for me. Um, I like this movie. Uh, I just think that one hot take I have is that I don't think the animation has held up that well over the last eight years. I think I look at a movie like Finding Nemo and I think even the first one, their human characters look better than the ones in this film. I think they tried to do too much in some ways, and in other ways, didn't do enough. I think had we been able to spend a little more time in the woods, I wouldn't have said the same thing, because those were definitely the prettiest shots of the movie, but mm-hmm. even like the horseback shots, everything's just going by so quick, it's hard to appreciate any scenery or hard to show off your animation at all. Um, a lot of exposition, a lot of just like oh, this happens, and that means we need to get here, and then we're just going to conveniently get there. It's just like, I I don't know. It, I think, is a film that needed to breathe at points where it never really did. It kind of just raced along, and it is a quick movie. It's like just over 90 minutes, I think. Yep. 92 minutes, maybe. Um, so, yeah, animation... Not as great as some other Pixar films, even ones that came before it. Um, story, the pacing's a little weird. Quick, you know, it never really drags. It's too quick, if anything. Yeah. And then, um, this isn't really a knock against it, but I think, like, it's about time Pixar made a princess film, and this was the first one. I mean, that's kind of what Disney's bread and butter was. But I feel like they kind of dropped the ball. I feel like, whereas they could have given marita her own identity as a disney princess that's like forever ingrained in our memories with snow white cinderella ariel you know the list goes on and on 
but the result was this kind of badass character that really, rather than being her own self, was just kind of a, a goulash of tropes from other Disney princesses, and yeah. set in a world that was really beautiful, but with a plot where she was kind of just on the rails, you know? Um, it was very linear. I wish they would have given her character more to do. I think her character's just kind of stuck on this track where we're following her along, and yeah, there's no reason to dislike her, but I guess the whole movie, I'm like, put her out on her own. Let her make more decisions. That's where, like, the most entertaining scenes have been is when it's Merida in the wilderness trying to figure out life, and it seemed like this movie was so quick to race back to the castle or to other, like, not super charismatic side characters um so yeah it's not the prettiest not the deepest it's a pretty linear take from pixar on a classic princess story and i you know other than the the angle of it being a scottish princess i didn't find there to being anything particularly original about this film no um i mean the whole movie is kind of her fighting to get out from under her mother's thumb. Um, but it didn't really make her her own character, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, she, like, you don't get to know, I mean, you know she's independent and stubborn. But, like, that's pretty, you, I mean, that's established super early on. But so is every kid. And we've also seen that movie before. And we've seen that movie from Disney before. You know what I mean? Yep. Exactly. But, like, it just doesn't... She doesn't get to evolve any. Right. It's just basically her and her mom kind of reconciling their differences. But without exploring her character a whole lot. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I think... I did did really like the... um, all the nature scenes, I think they did a really good job with those. Uh, I thought the bears looked really cool. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, for the amount of time this movie spent in the castles and focusing on the clans, and the clans end up being basically secondary, but, like, we're just sitting with those clans for a good chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have done, like, that opening scene, or not the opening scene, but, like, the battle scene. Or not the battle, um, the contest, like with the archery. And you really could have just left it alone from there. Yeah, and even when we go back to the castle, I mean, it basically becomes her dad's film, you know, for those scenes. He's kind of the ringleader. Um, but even him, it's like they hinted it multiple times that maybe there's more than meets the eye. But even he proved that after 90 minutes, he was kind of a one-dimensional big oaf, you know? Yep lovable but very much tunnel vision one track mind and honestly on a quick side note the kids kind of creep me out the triplets like i'm all for mischievous like they're borderline feral yeah like they there's that scene where like uh the mom as the bear like breaks into the like a taxidermy room essentially and the kids are like putting an eagle's head on a bear's body yeah and, like, the mom makes them... Like, the kids understood who the mom was immediately. But it was just one of those, like... I don't know. I, I wanted to like those kids more. But really, they were just... 
they were tormenting everybody in the castle. One of the kids chains. puts on like a turkey for a mask. Yep. To like scare people. And like a frog on a stick that they're making shadow puppets to make it look like a bear. Yeah, they're kind of weird, kind of creepy. Yep. Yeah, they got some like children of the corn type, type vibes. And yeah. uh, I wasn't a big fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think they could have done more with Merida's story. It was, it was a good movie, though. I did enjoy it. Um, I think I'm putting it in at 13. So that puts it above... I'm trying to remember what that goes right above. I think it's below Finding Nemo. No, Nemo's not that low. Maybe it is. We're at, like, what, 17? I think you're just below, like, Incredibles 2 on that one. That could be. Yeah, it's it's not, it's a little below middle of the pack. Um, again, it's just, I feel like they didn't do enough with the main character. Um, I didn't, yeah. And the, also the linear story. For some, Again, after watching Pixar movies and talking about them every single week, like you kind of figure out these weird things that you didn't know why you liked the movies so much. But like, that's a big part is like, being able to kind of tie these stories in seamlessly and this was just like we're just following merida and eleanor but like neither of them are an independent enough character sure sure i guess that's one way to look at it for me i think this kind of falls victim to the same issues that i had with cars too where but kind of the opposite whereas like Cars 2, they had a lead character in Mater that I didn't really like that they kind of just forced down my throat for the whole movie and a plot that they tried to overcomplicate and do too much with. Mm -hmm. Whereas this movie, they have uh, a pretty awesome lead character that they really don't do enough with or give us enough of and a plot that's, you know, kind of just paper thin. Yep. But Lady turns into a bear. Bear tries to make amends with daughter. Bear gets turned back into mom. That's that's the movie. Yeah, and they really, they really did a a job pulling from just about every Disney princess movie rather than reinventing the genre, which kind of bummed me out a little bit. But yep, yeah, I feel like they could have done. Yeah, they could have done a lot better with this one. But neither of us hated it. Not a bad movie. 13 from you, 15 from me. Both agree that they could have done better. Um, Yeah, that's our take on Pixar's Brave. And bringing it back to the suds, we paired today's episode with the Strongbow Variety Pack. That was the Pear Seco, the original Dry, and the Rosé Apple. So, we have agreed beforehand we are not going to rank these on the numbers scale. Instead, we are going to rank them in just descending order. So, yeah. actually, let's go ascending. Let's go last to first. Sure. Um, I'm putting uh, the rosé as my least favorite. It was just kind of sweet for the sake of being sweet and didn't, I don't know. Yeah, it was a little, it was a kind of a sugar bomb, not too great. Uh, middle of the pack is going to be the Pear Seco, 
Um, while I do really like Pear, uh, this one, it kind of felt a little forced. Not great. Uh, and the dry cider, I see why that's that's what made the business. Like, I, I get it. It's actually just a very pleasant, easy-drinking dry cider. Um, not a lot not a lot to go on with it. Just, yeah, rosé, pear, and then original at the top. All right. All right. Mine is going to be similar, but I'm going to deviate just slightly. So, third place is going to be my Gordon Ramsay of the Bunch. Um, the Rosé Apple. Uh, second place, this is where we disagree. I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as the one I'm about to list next after this. But <laughs> the uh, original dry coming in at second place, that's going to be my Tilda Swinton of the bunch. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about the Yeah, okay. And then uh, coming in at first place, the Pear Seco. The Sean Connery of the evening. I thought we'd... Oh, actually, you were doing Scottish. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you got a nope. problem? Nope, nope, got no problem. Anything to note? I thought you were doing American actors, and then I remembered that's not what you said. Are, are Tilda Swinton, Gordon Ramsay, and Sean Connery American <laughs> that's actors? Exactly, and it was like, why are you doing this? Gordon Ramsay's not even an actor, Nate. That's true. Finish your thing, it's fine, it's fine. staring Nate down right now he's piercing it's been a spicy day <laughs> and it's about 20 degrees warmer in this room than any other any other room in this California studio giant suds buds compound that we're recording <laughs> in yeah pear seco number one um I really liked it it was dry semi-sweet and it just had a nice little punch of that pear that I liked and I like a good pear I like a good pear shout out to the pear the pear. Not the bear. The pear. The pear. Bear pear. I haven't had a pear. Pear of bears. <laughs> yeah, we're talking pear bears. The podcast, we talk pears and bears. Good pears with good bears. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Nate just had a stroke. <laughs> we're good? I think we're good. We're good. We're good. All right, everybody. We appreciate you being patient with us today. We drank some ciders. We we talked about a princess film. It's it's not what we do every week, but that's okay. We we enjoy talking to you guys. We appreciate you listening to us. I enjoy drinking adult beverages with Nate on a hot porch every Tuesday, like it's way great, earlier than we should. Yeah, absolutely, way earlier than we should. It 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 can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. Yeah, that's right. It, it makes the rest of my, my Tuesdays an absolute mystery, but <laughs> uh, same. who knows where we'll go from here. <laughs> yep. Um, but as always, we appreciate you guys listening, and we encourage engagement. So feel free to email us, uh, sudsbudspod, that's suds, S-U-D-Z, buds, B-U-D-Z, pod, at gmail.com. Same thing, sudsbudspod on Instagram. Um, yeah, we can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and PodMN. Feel free to listen on any and all those, and we also appreciate reviews. It means a lot. We will shout you out on the show. No kind words go unnoticed here. And, uh, all we ask from you is keep on listening. 
That's all you got to do. Maybe a recommendation every now and then. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking for uh, some extra work. Yep, exactly. Same. little referral. Yes. <laughs> all right, everybody. Stay safe. Stay cool. Stay kind. And please remember, as always, to please Pixar responsibly. Bear. Sit me down and see I'm